Hey y'all, welcome to Women in Stereo episode 6. Today I have Mackenzie Nicole and lovely guest co-host Jillian Elizabeth. I know most of the time I put these on YouTube, but if you are listening to this, you are streaming on Spotify or another streaming app. I had some issues with my camera, so there will be no video this time except for the little previews I've been putting on the Women in Stereo Instagram. And honestly, it all kind of worked out because I've been thinking about moving forward with Spotify, etc. as the main hub for the podcast, so that's just an affirmation to me that I should. Anyway, welcome back. We have a great episode today. I had a long, lovely, and real conversation with Mackenzie and Julian about some of our personal struggles with being a woman in the industry. And we talk a lot with Mackenzie about her new album, Mystic, and her journey with mental health and how it correlated with with the making of her album. I think y'all will really like it, and I can't wait to share. So let's jump right in and get started. Cue intro. Hey, y'all. I'm Jen Leah, and this is my brand new podcast, bringing you real-life stories from up-and-coming female artists of all genres. If you want more than the mainstream, you come to the right place. This is Women in Stereo. Welcome, Mackenzie, and welcome, Julian, to Women in Stereo. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I am excited to learn about Mackenzie. So um, I went on her Instagram just a little bit, but I kind of am coming in here to learn right along with the people tuning in. So I'm excited. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. All right. So Julian, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I know you have a, a lot going on, so I don't want to miss anything. Okay, well, my name is Jillian Elizabeth. I am A&R for a record label called Die Laughing Records. And I'm a podcast and online personality called The Go 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 Girl. I don't know if anyone can see my shirt. And Mackenzie and Jennifer, I will get your addresses. I'm going to send you a Go 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 Girl t-shirt. Yeah. I'm also launching um, a female record label with my partner, Dave Dalton. And that is called Chicanery Chick Records. And 2021 is looking like we're going to come out. I do have one signing right now, and that's the dogs from Detroit. Their bass player, Mary, um, was, a, was they're an older punk band, and they've been around since the 60s. And Mary was playing bass in a guy band, and that was not easy being a woman in those times. So they are my first signing because it's all about girl power, and Mary exemplifies that the the meaning of that so Heck yeah me. that sounds amazing <laughs> that's what I we're all about that. <laughs> that's what we're all about over here at women in stereo i love to hear that <laughs> i'm very excited yeah all right Mackenzie. so i've been doing my research on you and you sound amazing as heck but we're all about introducing new artists to new people here. So tell me all about you and your story. Well, hi, I'm Mackenzie Nicole. Um, I think my, if I had to define who I am as an artist in a sentence, I'd say that I'm an opera singer assigned to a rap label that was inspired by a rock band. So there's a (laughs) lot going on. Um, I consider my, yeah, I don't really, I don't like, to define my music in terms of genre because I feel like I jump around a lot as that last sentence might Im- yeah, imply. 
But I guess I'd have to say like kind of more in an alternative vein. I think that's the catch all for people who don't know what they're doing, <laughs> like me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically I have been singing my entire life. I was humming before I could talk. So as soon as I could say words, I was singing. Um, I've been classically trained to sing opera since I was six years old, but my, um, you know, career as a recording artist began when I was nine years old, when I did my first song with my label mate, Tech Nine. Um, I did the hook on a song called Demons with Tech Nine and Three Six Mafia. And so then, <laughs> and then after that, I continued to work with other artists on my label and continue to do hooks here versus there. When I was 15 or 16, 15 or 16, I started my solo career with a couple of singles, went off to release an album. But most importantly, in my creative career, I have my most recent album, Mystic, which was the first time I actually had creative control in my career. So that and the single before it complications really mystic is the first body of work that was I consider mine and in many ways I consider it my debut album so um despite having done this technically this recording artist thing for like what 12 years now I really because mystic just came out this year feel like a baby artist and I guess you know we always talk about in the industry you know you guys have heard it there's no such thing as an overnight success right like the overnight success was 10 years in the making at least so I guess in the big grand scheme of things, I am a baby artist, but yeah. So that's kind of the little short rundown. Actually, it was a long answer to a short question. But you know, <laughs> I like long answers here because I don't like to talk. So <laughs> I know I picked, uh, I picked the I best career for this, but I love when artists give me like the long, long versions of things. So that's great. Yeah. Well, um, I have a question if that's okay. Um, something that Mackenzie brought up. You said Mystic was released this year, which I knew. Um, but my, you know, I've been dealing with um, uh, releases, um, albums, and different things with our label. And with you coming out with this album, that it sounds like from what I've read and what you've said, it's personal to you. You have this creative control on it. For that to come out during this year with COVID, um, how has that affected how you've taken um, this on? Well, I'm really glad you asked. It came out in February. So right before everything hit the fan. And so I actually had a lot that was supposed to happen this year in respect, like I was supposed to be touring. I went on this tour, prepped for months, lots of time, energy, and lots of money went into this tour. And then I got to play exactly one date and then it got canceled. And I got oh, man. So that happened in the spring. That happened in March. I'm ultimately... I'm not that upset about it because there's nothing I can do and being upset isn't going to serve me any purpose. It's a bummer, obviously, because I had a really cool set lined up, <laughs> but you know, that's been, so that was, I'd say the biggest thing that got affected by COVID in terms of this release and the rollout of Mystic. Um, but I will say other than that, I think we really, my team and I have had the amazing opportunity to continue pretty much as planned with the release of Mystic, the album and the release of the Mystic short film um I guess I should explain that basically um I did a visual for every song on the album that came together as one solitary narrative that was later released just as a short film basically less of a film and more like you know just a visual album a film to mu music really there's no dialogue or anything so because we had so much um 
to release there. I think we got to continue with, you know, pretty much on course with just releasing content. And I've been really grateful that this album in particular had so much content to release because I think it allowed us to still celebrate and promote and, you know, give some longevity to releasing the album itself without being able to go physically do anything. You know what I mean? That's good. So you didn't have to change your strategy too much other than the tour. Yeah, it's, you know, not being able to tour, not being able to like, I, you know, I, I'm a, I love people and I lo- that's one of my favorite parts of my job is being able to meet people who like, I had put everything I have into this album and then they go, oh wait, I'm going to let you into my life now. Like that's an amazing experience and I want to like hug everybody, but you know, that's the only thing we really lost. I think that my supporters have been absolutely incredible this entire time and really all the things I was afraid I was going to miss out on and how bummed I was with releasing an album right before a pandemic. Um, they really have taken everything in stride and all the listeners and viewers have really embraced the content we've released. So, you know what I mean? I, again, a long answer to the question, COVID did affect the strategy, but I think we fielded it pretty well. And I'm pretty excited about that because it could have been a disaster. <laughs> yeah. What's what's the difference between, I haven't heard that term used and I'm interested between a visual and a, and a video, what I know you said it's each song is represented. It sounds very interesting to me. Thank you. Um, so basically when I say video, um, at least for me, that kind of implies a performance-based music video. You know, um, when I say visual, I think that that, that term, at least to me, better represents that this isn't a performance-based music video. This is quite literally just, um, the way, okay, let me define um, art real quick in my, in how, as how it is in my life. I believe art is just using, you know, appealing to the senses to convey an experience and aesthetic to one another. And so this is just me appealing to your visual senses to accompany your, you know, the sonic um, aspects of the album, the album itself. Um, if, do you mind if I explain how these visuals came about? I think that would help supplement this answer. I would love it. Okay, thank you. Um, so basically, I wrote Mystic and I started writing it in 2018. Um, my first album, The Edge, was released in 2018. Um, and while that was happening, though, while it was being released, um, in those first six months of the year, January through June, I was undergoing a very severe mental breakdown. Um, I've, I've struggled with raging mental illness my entire life. You know, I just did a TED talk. And the first thing I say is the first time I remember contemplating suicide, I was six years old. So this has been a longstanding thing for me. Um, That being said, though, it really just came, hit a fever pitch that year in those first six months. And I nearly died several times. Every single move I make, every single thing I did was an act of self-destruction. It was horrible. And so thankfully that culminated surprisingly with me living and with me attending therapy for the first time with my current psychiatrist and getting diagnosed and medicated. Um, and that really was life-changing and life-saving for me. But again, come fall of 2018, I have this responsibility to deliver an album. And this is only a few months into the recovery process for me. And my entire life, I'd felt defined by darkness. And especially now, 
finally coming out of that, finally treating that. So I didn't know what else I could write about. And this is my first opportunity to truly be authentic, to be myself, to express myself. I knew I had to write about this. So I began writing um, the story of especially this mental breakdown I had went through. Um, I wrote it in three parts. The first four songs on the album or the first part, it's called The Rabbit Hole. It's about my rock bottom. The next four songs on the album is like transitional called Purgatory. It's about the hard decision I ever made. Right? It was a decision to get better or try to get better, I should say. And then the last four songs, the most abstract part of the album is called Oxygen, because that's what it felt like to me being in recovery. It felt like this breath of fresh air after I've been held underwater almost my entire life. And that is about being on the other side, whatever that means. So this is very clearly an autobiographical album in the most sincere sense of the word. But the really peculiar phenomenon that occurred as I was writing this album and experiencing the creation of it was I, and when I say creation, let me put a little asterisk there and explain that I don't think I made mystic. I think mystic existed somewhere in the universe outside of me. I just happened to be the one who found it and brought it and manifested it physically, if that makes sense. So as I'm writing and I'm telling my story, so to speak, I'm suddenly getting these flashes and these visions of this other narrative that isn't me. And I discover very quickly that there's someone else here in the words I was writing. There was another story and I just grew to call her the girl. And she and I are not the same person. She's not an alter ego. She's not any of that. She is her own independent person. And she has gone through her own unique experiences. And while we both have had the common um, experience of going through a mental breakdown and suffering to the darkness, um, we did it in our own independent ways. And so as I'm writing, first of all, I'm like, what is this? Like, why am I feeling this? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I seeing this person? And like, literally, I didn't have to make up anything. I would be driving in the car and go, oh, wait, that's what happened to her then. Or writing, I'm like, oh, this makes sense because the girl did this. And I'm like, why do I have this information? I have to do something with it because otherwise the universe wouldn't have given it to me, right? And I lose a lot of people here because it sounds very hippy-dippy, but bear with me. Um, I uh, was like, I was, I just knew I had to bring her into the light. And so that being said, I was like, okay, maybe if I start writing the songs about both of us and telling both of our stories, but there just simply wasn't enough room for both of us in the songs. It had to be about me. I had to be selfish there. And so suddenly the album is finished and I'm like, I didn't include her. What do I do? Then the talk about doing music videos starts. And that's when I knew that was my avenue. That was the medium. Because the idea of taking a song like A Cut Rose in Tap Water or something like that and doing like a performance-based music video to it, it felt like it cheapened it. It felt insincere. Um, I knew that that's why, that was, that was my purpose for this part of the album process. I was supposed to use these visual components to tell her story. And so I brought that to... Uh, my boss, our CEO, Travis O'Gwen, who's also my dad, let that be noted. But I brought it to him and I said, hey, um, I have this idea. <laughs> I don't, I, this is what I want to do for the vi visuals. And he was like, okay, let's pick out like three or four that we can do um, these videos for. And I tried so hard to narrow it down to three or four songs. But if I, if I tell her story in these three songs, then it's just about a girl who is kind of depressed. And if I tell it in these three songs about a girl who went through a breakup. So I couldn't find the right combination of songs to tell the whole story. And I expressed this to him and he said, 
very, very hesitantly, something to the effect of, and I'm going to do my impression of him. He sounds like Marlon Brando from The Godfather, so bear with me. I would consider under some circumstances, perhaps, maybe, maybe uh, doing a visual for every song on the album. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do that. And so (laughs) then we got into the process of creating that. And I'll tell you, there were a lot of uh, roadblocks and speed bumps along um, the way. I'm sorry, I'm like taking over this entire conversation. I'm so sorry. No, you're Um, right. It's all about you, girl. Thank you. (laughs) I'm totally enthralled with what you're sharing with us. Thank you. I... uh, am working with people I'm sp- and I'm working with the right people, so to speak, right? Who know all the right people and know directors and DPs and all this, right? And I remember the most blatant example of someone trying to convince me that I couldn't do this is this, okay? I'm on the phone with one of those quote unquote correct people, the right person. And she's supposed to be, ooh, they're supposed to be a liaison. <laughs> well, there's a little hint um, to all of these um fantastic creatives that are going to help me pull this off. And I say to them, I say, okay, so I'm going to do 12 videos and they all come together and they're going to make a short film. And then I'm just explain this idea. This person says to me, they say, every artist I've ever worked with has tried to do a visual for every song on the album. I'm telling you right now, it won't work and you won't do it. And I was like, all right. Okay. And so then I did, and I did it wonderfully. So I kind of want to send them a link and be like, by the way, every artist you work with hasn't done it, but I did. And I so did. like, and that's not me trying. I should, and I had a lot of people try and dissuade me from, for example, in the visuals, I play the main character. I play the girl. Um, we are not the same person. That's why I have dark hair and dark eyes and I'm entirely different in the visuals. I was told that would be confusing and that that wouldn't work. I play you know, more than one character in the visuals. I was told that wouldn't work. So I'm really proud of this final product. And to answer your question, the most roundabout way possible, the reason I use the term visuals is because I have not found anything else that conveys um, what exactly it is we did. And as soon as I see someone else who did something really similar um, and they use a better term than visuals, I'll probably steal that from them. Because I, I love it. It was intriguing yeah. to me. And it, 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 to me, it enhanced it. It gave it something where you're like, okay, wait, what is this? No, where can we see this? Where, where is this available for us to see? So um, all 12 individual videos and the short film as a whole, if you just want to watch it straight through, is available on Strange Music Inc. That's INC, YouTube channel. Um, and we... Uh, are looking to get it put on other streaming platforms, the visual, um, the film soon. It's just a long process, you know what it is. But yeah, so right now you can see it on Strange Music Inc.'s YouTube channel. That is way cool. I know what I'm gonna be doing when we get off here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's my Mackenzie, I love, I love that you said uh, you know, some people didn't believe in the fact that you had you wanted to do visual for the whole album, you know. I'm really into music marketing and things like that. And a lot of the time things don't sound good on paper, but for your personal brand, they end up being the right thing to do. So it's great that you did that. Thank you. you no. it enough that you, you stuck with your vision and that's, that's rare, you know, to find someone that has it that clear how they're going to tell their story or bring forward their project and to really follow through and not be dissuaded. I, that's a lot of props to you on that. That that means a lot to me because I am, um, I've been told by some that I am 
hard to work with because I am a little bit of, I don't like term control freak. I just know what I want and how to execute it. And so that being said, like I'm the executive producer, co-executive producer alongside Travis um, on my album. That's been the case with my last album too. I am obsessively involved in every step of the process. I design, like my handwriting is in the album booklet that was designed here. Um, that would, you know, the cover was drafted and like so obsessively organized um, every single aspect of it down to the marketing, down to negotiating the ad campaigns. Like that's, I, I do it all because I am a literal psychopath and can't let, and can't not. But I also grew up in the industry and know how to do a lot of stuff because I've been witness, born witness to it. And I have had the pleasure and the privilege of learning a lot of different things. So if I can do them and I know how I want them done, I do them. And that's especially hard as a female in the industry, as I'm, you guys know. Yeah, yeah trying. you're kind of leading in, and Jennifer, stop me if I'm talking too much. I just, this is exciting for me. I One of the things I want to ask you is, because um, I come up against this every day and I'm sure Jennifer does. Do you find that you're termed hard to work with because you're a female? Oh, absolutely. Men are, it's like, he's a real stickler, you know, it's really, you know, but you, he just gets the best out of the job. But a woman is a shrew or pushy, bossy. Exactly. It's okay for a man to be, it's like almost expected for a man to be controlling. Yeah. A man can be assertive. You know, mm-hmm. a man can be assertive. I'm abrasive. Assertive, that's, you, yeah. know? Ex- you know, a man can be particular. I'm a diva. You know, it wouldn't be the, pro- you know, I look at, um, I look at being, okay. So I was already kind of, I think, very acutely aware of the inconsistencies between myself and my male counterparts in the industry and even within my label um, in the respect that, okay, so I grew up um, my entire life. This label started in the basement of my childhood home. So this is my entire life is right here. Um, And my parents never left me with a sitter, right? My parents started the label and every conference call I was listening in on, no matter how old I was, didn't matter if I was four, didn't matter if I was 10, um, every meeting I was sitting in the back of the room every tour I was on tour with my dad and mom like every single thing I was involved in and that was an incredible privilege that they allowed me and I was always treated like a small adult but I always noticed that a especially being in the environment we're at um with being in this hip-hop label um it's kind of gave me a complex that I went to therapy a lot to get over actually um is that the uh the status desirable you know the pinnacle of success is being a big, scary man, you know, and that was the environment I was raised. I had a lot of great female role models. Don't get me wrong, but within my primary environment, which is the label being an intimidating man was that's, that was a status symbol. That was what powerful means. Yes. And being a I'm five foot three and three quarters with shoes. Um, like you look at me like I'm a little girl and I have like a cartoon high-pitched voice. Like n- nothing about me is particularly intimidating in a physical sense. So that already made me realize at a very young age, I have to outmatch people and impress people and assert myself in a way that is 
you know, transcends my physical bounds because I can't transform my physical body. So I always realize I need to be do my best to be the most educated and informed person in every room I go in. That responsibility would not have been put on me if I were just a big scary man. <laughs> I think, and this yeah. comes up a lot frequently in my uh, interviews with different women is that we have to work twice as hard as a man. And we, really? we can't, we have the opportunities and we can be as successful as a man, but we have to work twice as hard for it. Absolutely. I uh, I also had the incredible privilege of going to an amazing, amazing all-girls college prep academy called St. Teresa's Academy in, here in Kansas City. Incredible environment. Could not be more grateful for it. And being in that environment, too, made me so aware. And they were so honest and open with the fact that you're a female you're going to have to work harder. And then I remember when I was, I was on some business trips, I was like 16. I want to say, yeah, I was 16. And I was on this huge business trip to, um, tour, like going all around the country, going to different radio stations. And for days on end, I sat in these conference rooms with these middle-aged white radio execs who were telling me a 16 year old girl, what teenage girls like to hear on the radio. Thanks. And every Thanks. single answer was uh. different. One of them said to me, girls don't care about the lyrics. Girls want to dance. Girls don't care about substance. Another one said to me, girls are emotional. Girls like lyrics. The beats, beats they don't care about. And the entire time I was thinking, why aren't you asking me? Oh my God. And so that being said, I now look at a position where I'm very, very, most of my work is not as an artist. It's on the executive side. And I sit and I watch people talk over me, talk through me, talk at me, but no one talks to me. And because I'm the youngest, I'm the youngest person in the room most of the time. I'm a female. I'm an artist. I, my education stopped my senior year of high school. I don't have a degree in any of this. You know what I mean? Like, so there are a lot of ways in which people try to invalidate. Not everyone. I've met so many people who value what I have to offer, but there's also a good percentage of people, as you guys know, that I encounter who expect me to be dumb, who will literally look at my dad and ask them him questions about me as if I'm not standing there. Like, oh, what's her last album? So where is she going next? Who's the producer? Actually, thank you for asking. The producer is seven and my next album is this and I'm going here next. Like, and it sounds, and even me saying this, someone's going to hear it as me being snobby and entitled. No. Even me Man, you don't Empowered, even know empowered how, is what you are. <laughs> y'all didn't even know how often I get asked who produces my show. And I'm like, me? Like, what is the show over here? Exactly. And I'll tell you something that you guys are just going to, you'll love this. Um, I have a brother, he's 12 years younger than me. He's eight. And mind you, I have been my dad's right hand my entire life. Like I said, my dad would let me sit in on meetings. Didn't matter if I was six, if I was 12, if I was 16. And he would look at me after the meeting and say, now, what would you do in this situation? You knew if you didn't answer right, you weren't in on the next meeting. So you had to answer correctly. You better have been paying attention. I have been working here my entire life. But when my brother was born, and people still do this now, they say, there's the next CEO right there. And my parents always say, you're about 12 years late on that one. And wow. because awesome. I, I, and I love that they're like that because I was literally brought up my entire life. I think in many ways, my dad raised me with the sense of mentorship that most people exert towards their firstborn son. And I think that was a huge benefit to me because I was always told, you know, this is, you know, you're taking this over when I'm done. So pay attention. Whereas everyone, when my brother was born, thought, oh, he's taking it over next. And I just think that's so funny. It's just such a, it's such a subtle yet massive 
just like aggression towards it's a very telling um bias yeah exactly and you know I have to say with this is so like refreshing talking with you ladies like this, you know, with die laughing records, I came on, I'm the only girl, I'm the token female, but I will tell you my partners, Rob Trisler and Dave Dalton, um, they have pushed me. They have stood by me throughout everything. And I literally have been patted on the head and the same thing, Dave Dalton's the CEO and people will look at him and direct everything. And he'll say, you have to ask Jillian, you have to go through her. Um, she set that up. That's her caller. And he is the one that encouraged me to start um, Chicanery Chick. I wasn't even really that interested. I was trying to, you know, do something else. And he kept at it, kept at it. Rob did a logo. Like they kept at it and they saw I had something special and they nurtured that. So they've been in this battle with me. And it's, it's, you know, women represent like what, 3% or 6%, something. I know it's under 10% in this, in this industry, you know, in, in positions that are, um, you know, of decision-making and, you know, we're, we're, we're held down all the time. Yes. And that's not even to mention the risk of being a young female growing up in the industry, just based on predatory behavior from don't I I could go on a rant about that and there's a lot that unfortunately I can't say but like they you guys know I everyone yeah knows, it's a whole that's a whole other thing on top of what we're yeah. already dealing with yeah. yeah and it's funny because it's like you said I literally have had men on my team are they older than me yes are they men yes and people when we go to a meeting people when we go in a group to something will say okay so uh and look at them to ask a question I'm there. I give that's no me that's I'm the one who's in charge here and so yeah and then so not only do you know that you have everything stacked against you because people don't take you seriously and all this but then my male Kyle from social media doesn't have to worry if he's going to get groped at a meeting like it sounds so dramatic and so like outrageous but this happens and telling people who aren't in the industry have worked in the industry. It sounds like an outrageous hyperbole, but it happens. Or my partners don't have to worry if they're going to get inappropriate messages constantly in their inbox. You know, people will send me stuff and just be totally disrespectful to me as a person and a woman, but they think that they can talk to me like that. Absolutely. And so it's just really cool um, to put it lightly. Cool. What a great adjective for this really meaningful thing. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation right now with you um, both, because first of all, it's just nice to meet women in the industry. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's so nice. And it's nice to talk about, hey, like, isn't like, this is like such a big thing. And I always, 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 always try and um, explain, emphasize, hey, like there's some difficulties being a female in the industry and hey, you know, but it gets written off as whining. So it's nice to have an environment where it can be like, hey, yeah, this is what we went through and this is what we're still going through. And here's how we are combating that and continuing to be successful and achieve what we need to achieve and what we want to achieve despite that. Like, it's so cool that we have this conversation. Oh my God, I'm so excited. That's right. And you know what, Another one sad thing about it is it's so ingrained in society that a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. 
It is. It's, it's, it's almost natural age. behavior to dismiss a woman, you know, and ask a man a question over a woman and things like that. Yeah. I, I think that it's really funny because I, myself, me and me and my father are very similar. Um, we have, um, and their sp- how we run things, right? So when I have a team working for me or that I'm uh, that's under my direction, um, I'm I'm very I can I want to be like oh I'm so fun, but like I love being friends with my coworkers. You know, we all, we hang out, we have a good time. I want us mm-hmm. to have fun and work on things, especially since we're in the arts. It's important that everyone is emotionally comfortable right. and comfortable. But at the end of the day, when we're working, we're working. And just because we may, you know, have a disagreement here, doesn't mean that I'm not going to hang out with you later. You know, it's just, it's, it's be very professional. You know, there's a time to be friends. And there's a time where we need to be very serious. And for me, when my dad does that, right. Um, when he wants to hold a serious meeting or when he has to chastise someone or redirect someone, that's what he does. You know, he's the boss. When I do it, I'm a bitch. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just yeah, saying, it's so hard to be a female boss because if you're if you just correct someone, not even in a mean way, you're a bitch. Exactly. Or I've been told I'm too much. You're just too much right now. Yeah. Guess what? To the right people, I'm too much, and that's not enough. Or I say, that's why you have two hands. Put them out. <laughs> I love you. I'm gonna that's borrow. Why you have two hands. <laughs> no, and it's funny. And then that doesn't even include like that's just in respect to intellectual and social um, interactions, but that's not even beginning to address like how it doesn't matter what any of my coworkers that are men look like, but it matters what I look like. Sure. And like, I, here's the thing. I have been on tours with the rappers who show up in a tracksuit to a meet and greet um, when I'm supposed to be in full hair and makeup and heels. They just got out of bed 15 minutes ago. I've been up doing my hair for the last hour and a half. You know, <laughs> but that's a bare minimum expectation. Like that, I I am I I do like you know the curling and the floofing yeah, and the. I love it too. I but, do like that, but yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, and I think and that's the thing. I don't mind. Like I like doing my hair and makeup, but the fact there's an expectation and that it is that's the bare minimum is me spending an hour and a half on my appearance whereas he just got up 15 or 20 minutes ago and rolled into the meet and greet it's so wild or like one of the big things for me is like my weight fluctuates a lot Mm -hmm. I have gained 45 pounds in a year and I might lose it in the next year and it's all over the place right and so right before I have always like growing up I was always like do you find that goes hand in hand with men since we were talking about mental health and your story? Do you find that's yeah, me? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so like my entire life growing up, I was told it's too heavy. I was told I was fat or chubby, right? And then right before Mystic, I gotten to I lost the most weight I ever lost my wife, uh, life. I was the lightest I've ever been. And everyone said I look drug addled. That right. I, I look sick. Yeah, it's never. That's when I really realized, like, I always knew there's no pleasing people, but as I'm sitting here, you know, I've done the thing that everyone's been telling me to do, not because people told me to do it, but it just happened to be such, Um, you know, I lost all this weight and I thought, finally, at least I can stop hearing about my weight. And everyone's like, she looks sick. Hope she gets better. Ooh, is she, what, that meth? I'm like, oh my God. Uh, It's insane. (laughs) That's why truly mind's own self be true yeah you have to just make yourself happy because Mm -hmm. you know especially lately I've been seeing this really toxic thing going on it's like you can't be skinny or you make people mad or but if you're bigger you make people mad there's just no winning (laughs) I just honestly I'm not gonna lie to you I don't care what anyone else is doing at any given time (laughs) I 
cannot imagine. I can't imagine seeing someone and having a preference regarding their weight. Like it's surreal to me. And maybe that's because, but you know, and that's the same. It's just, and, but that I guess is the price we pay and the terms we agree to being in this industry, especially as an artist. But I'm like, yo, like, I'm sorry. If you care about how much I weigh that much, get a hobby. Like find your piece, go crochet or something like go on a date, something Jesus. Like it's just funny to me, but yeah, there's a lot. It's, it's definitely a weird industry to be in, in general, but as a female, it's really weird. (laughs) It it definitely has its, its moments. And, you know, for the most part, I'm, I love being part of it, you know, and I'm a behind the scenes person, but I'm a personality, you know, I love people, like you said. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen a lot that's really just, you know, I spent the first like 40, I'm I'm older than both of you, but you know, I was a mom. I have daughters, your daughter, your age. And, um, and I spent my life being a mom and raising a strong woman and I'm really proud of her. And, um, you know, but in this industry, wow, I've seen more than I ever saw through high school and junior high and mean girl stuff. And this industry, yeah, it can be crazy can be crazy absolutely and that's the thing and I'm in a position right now where I've found myself I I love my supporters because there's like such a wide every walk of life has united to listen to my music and it's insane I don't know why but I do have like a good population of them that are um that are these young girls and I am talking to them, you know, because a lot of a lot of my supporters have like my phone number and because I'm just like that or people who've been around from like the beginning, like I have I am very close with everyone. And I find myself especially gravitating towards these younger girls because I really struggled all the time, my entire childhood into being adult. And I still struggle. And if I had like, I guess what I'd call like an older sister figure to be like, Hey, here's a tip or two, or Hey, like, here's this thing you're worried about that'll pass. Like then I maybe, maybe not, but maybe that would have helped. And so I try to be that for them. And especially when they're like, Hey, I want to sing or Hey, I want to do this. I want to do this in the arts. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll get through it, but, like you know, but that's strap in it's going to be a exactly. you can do it. Yeah. that's been an amazing part of getting to um be in this position though is growing up I didn't have any close people like everyone around me in the industry was a man and so I think it would have been cool to have someone who I could consider like hey like an empowered woman who like knows like what she wants and is doing it to say hey listen like you're gonna get called a bitch. You know? <laughs> Prep me a little bit. Well, that's a nice one. I've been called worse than that. <laughs> oh, right. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, and so overall, though, and I feel like I'm coming off really negative. I just feel like I'm being real, you know, about yeah, like. Not at all. Yeah. So, Mackenzie, you have a, and I love what you're saying about you know being a role model to young girls, and um, you went through a pretty substantial journey with mental health with, like you said, was, you know, the reason you wrote your album and things like that. And it's something that's not talked about enough. And people's struggles with mental health is such a huge problem. And the voice that you are lending to that is so important and so amazing and so brave. I'd really like to hear more about it. Um, I I know you talked about writing your album, but I'd really like to dig deeper in that. 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, I have been raging mentally ill my entire life and it's just been a disaster, but it could be, could be so much worse. I know that, but it hasn't been fun. And so, um, this is something that growing up, um, I get to be careful. I just, being around kids is hard for me. And it makes me really uncomfortable. I don't dislike children necessarily, but it makes me sad and uncomfortable because I was a very, um, I remember being very sad as a kid and not having the emotional faculties to process it. And besides like my mom and dad and like my, and my mom really knowing everything that was going on because we were very close. Um, no one validating that or taking it seriously because it's like, you're sick, you don't want to kill yourself. But yeah, no, I do though. And so that being said, I didn't, I grew up with like my parents, like especially my mom knowing everything. Um, and so I had a somewhat of a support system, but I legitimately felt like I was crazy because no one talked about it. Like no one talks about, like, it's always like, oh, there's also like this weird gatekeeping when it comes to mental illness where it's like self-harm is just cutting yourself or suicidal. If you don't try it, then you don't mean it. Like, yeah, like this weird stuff. And like, I was like also worried cause I was like stereotypically crazy. Like I was like hearing voices and seeing things that weren't there my entire life. And so I really didn't tell anyone about that. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like I'm just crazy. And then I thought I'm just imagining it. That's not really happening. That's not how I feel. I'm that those feelings aren't real because that would be crazy. And it was like this vicious cycle, right. Of like, I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. Cause that would make me crazy. Right. And the entire time not talking to anyone about it or telling anyone about it and further um, abnormalizing it in my own mind because I wasn't talking to anyone about it. And that was really damaging and really, really not productive or constructive at all in my in my uh, in my you know developmental stages of my life that brought me to this point. And now flash forward to now um, I'm in a position where I'm in recovery now. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. Um, when back in 2018, and it was the best news I've ever received in my life, because finally, after trivializing and invalidating everything I'd ever felt, someone said, actually, no, there's this thing. And here's why you feel this way. And here's what's up. And here's how we fix it. Not fix it, but treat it. And since I just keep thinking, I don't know if it would have helped. But like, maybe if someone talked about something with me, I would not have, I would have gotten help sooner. Or maybe I would have you know, not wanted to die all the time. And so if I can use the little platform I got to help facilitate a dialogue, like, you know, I always say that you kind of, if you have a platform, you should stand for something. Cause if all you do is further yourself as a brand, what happens when you die? All that work was for nothing. But if you represent something, if you have a greater cause you're working to represent, then you did something real. And I feel like I owe it. People have brought me into their lives and my music into their lives and accepted me and supported me. I owe it to them and I owe it to just not to be cheesy, but like the world at large to do something productive with that. You know, when it comes to mental health, our mental bodies are as important as our physical bodies in the respect that they're inherently entangled, right? And yet we don't, prioritize our mental bodies as much as our physical bodies. We aren't even good at least, like societally, I'll just say in this country, we don't even have good physical health 
So we aren't even close to having good mental health. And so I, uh, there's so many misunderstandings and myths and, that I want to try and bust. Um, for example, one that I hear a lot um, is, you know, I don't want to take medication. I don't want to use it as a crutch. I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to use it as a crutch. My therapist said to me, what do you do when you have a broken leg, right? You, you use a crutch, right? That's how that works. Yeah. And so it's kind of like trying to just involve myself as much as possible in um, disproving things that are not productive to our general societal mental health and wellness. Um, that's something else that's important to me. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I, I'm just really passionate about this. And it's been a really amazing experience because if I had done this album about anything else, um, I would not have had the moving experiences I've had. Even before it came out, I'd be sitting in these meetings, right? Um, with all these people I don't really know, just executives. Um, and I'd play a song or I'd play the album. And all of a sudden, a person who every single time I played it, this happened. Someone who I otherwise wouldn't have remembered except for someone I saw in passing at that meeting one time in 2018, you know, like that would come to me and be like, yo, like I'm going through a divorce right now. So I really felt this track or I had another meeting. Someone said, oh, I'm bipolar also loved that song over there. Um, or you bought one or two, like when was the last time you were manic? Like, and it's crazy. I have had this opportunity to actually have conversations with people that we never would have talked about otherwise. Like no one's going to come into a meeting and talk about their divorce, but now we are. And now we're talking about how you're getting through it. And Hey, like, are you doing good today? Are we good? And that's been really amazing. I look at, I did my Ted talk. Um, it's mystic Mackenzie Nicole's mental health odyssey. Um, if you ever want to watch it, it's on YouTube. I did and watch it. It was beautiful. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It worked so hard on it. Um, I had, we like got to go into the common area with the audience at lunch, right? Between like halfway through the speakers. Cause there was, it was a stacked um, itinerary that day. There were a ton of speakers and I went in, in um, to like that common area and all of a sudden people who were in the audience came up to me and they're like, Hey, listen, my daughter's both just got diagnosed bipolar. I don't know how to handle that. Cause I can't see it. What do I do? Or, Hey, listen, I'm a single dad. Just went through a divorce. I have five daughters I'm raising or five kids. I'm sorry that I'm raising. So yeah, I understand depression. I'm feeling it. Like, and just like having these really organic, incredible conversations where we just got to bond and actually answer, how are you doing honestly? And if I hadn't done if I hadn't chosen to just really live my truth, so to speak, and um, engage the thing I've been so passionate about, I wouldn't have had any of those interactions. So I'm really grateful for it because um, I think that in our, you know, I think every conversation makes it easier for all of us, right? I think every positive, genuine interaction makes life a little easier and makes us a little less alone. And so that's kind of my spiel about the mental health stuff. It's really it's so, so will you be posting the TED talk link in the show notes? Cause I would love to, I was not aware of it and I would love to watch it as well, which I'm sure when everyone hears this, you said it kind of fast. So will yeah. we be able to put that in the show notes? So people yeah. I, yeah. I'll, I will include that. Thank you. And if no, you don't mind, I might, I could even put a, um, like a little clip from it, like a 30 second clip or something. Oh, fancy. <laughs> fancy. See, girls getting it done, you see? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a crazy experience because my one of my like life goals, like my entire life, has been like it'd be cool to do a TED talk. And then my publicist um emailed me one day, she's like, Hey, listen, TEDx University in Nevada is um doing these 
like auditions or TED talks. So I sent in my audition tape. And as soon as I sent it in, I was like, that was horrible. Like, I was like, there's, I felt like there's, well, there's that. Like, I was like, they just, that is not going to oh, get you it. Thought, you thought you didn't get it? I didn't, as soon as we sent in the audition tape, I thought there was no hope because I did not believe in it at all. And then I remember I was um, go-karting with my ex-boyfriend <laughs> and this is months after the audition tape. So it wasn't even on the forefront of my consciousness at all. And I get a call from my dad. He says, have you looked at your email? I'm like, no, I'm go-karting. And he was like, you should look at your email. And my publicist sent an email um, that they had chosen me to do the TED Talk. And I- cried. I cried. I'm in the middle of this. Go- I'm like screaming in the middle of this, like go-kart track. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm doing a Ted talk. And everyone's like, we don't really care. Who are you? But I called every single, I called like every single person I ever met in my life. And I was like, guess what? I'm doing a Ted talk. And then, um, to make like, I think I made it as difficult as possible every step of the way, because we got to kind of do things like unconventionally where I both performed and did a TED talk. And basically um, I performed three tracks from my album mystic and acoustic and explained them in context, not only the album, but um, mental health and wellness as I've experienced it at large. And so having said, I spent months rehearsing it and months just plotting it and so many drafts and then we're in the uh dressing room right before we go on it's 30 minutes before we go on and I, I'm thinking about my current draft and I keep rehearsing it and I keep messing it up and I'm in front of my dad and I'm in front of my guitarist Ross amazing Ross Williams he's amazing um and I look at Ross who's heard every version of this talk basically mm-hmm. I say hey um do you remember when I talked about x y and z and like the, a couple drafts ago and he was like yeah I was like it was it better And he said, what you're asking me is if you should change your speech 30 minutes before you go on. I said, what I'm asking you is if it was better. And he was like, I liked it. And I was like, okay, okay. And so then I was like, okay, now we need to practice it. And I need to, in my head, I need to like mix this version with the old version. I need to make it work. And so I was like literally workshopping it as we were walking up to the stage. I kept messing it up. I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this? But I knew my dad was like, please don't do this. I was like, no, if I don't change it, I will never be happy with this. And I have to be happy with this. And so I'm literally on the side of stage about to go on microphone in hand. They're announcing my name and I'm still changing words in my head. The first and only time that speech came out the way it did was the recorded version that's you can find on you it sounds like you're very real to me you're real to yourself (laughs) at at any expense and that's very commendable and um yeah and yeah that speech was brutally honest and beautiful thank you thank you it was a it's one of the proudest things I've ever done in my life is that it's really been amazing because like you know amazing like important things to me but got other important things like mystic is my proudest achievement I love it with my entire heart it's my world and then it got to lead to like the film which is like another like oh my god proudest achievement and that led to the TED talk was like one of my like top three moments of my life and I'm like wow like it's just like not to be cheesy but it's like the gift that keeps on giving and that's what I I, my entire career had felt dissatisfied up to this point um, until Mystic because it was just never what I wanted. You know, I yes manned people into using my voice to create other people's visions in a lot of respects. And so um, 
I finally was true to myself and it just keeps on rewarding me. And it makes, it reassures me that this is what I need to be doing from now on is working to achieve my vision. And I used to think that was selfish, but now I realize that that's not what it is. You know what I, I heard, um, recently and it really kind of stuck with me is you should stop doing things that don't make you happy. You should do whatever your gift is, like whatever your real, like true gift is and stick with that and be true to yourself and you will find happiness in that. That's incredible. I, I hadn't heard that, but I like that because I remember, um, that's actually really relevant to my life. I wish someone had told me that when I was like 16 or 17, because my entire like high school career, especially, I swear to God, I worked every second of every day trying to get into like my, my obsession over anything, which is so weird to think about now, considering how my life's gone so far, but I wanted to get into Princeton. My entire childhood, I spent every single day, I would wake up, there was like two, like a year or two in the middle of high school where I woke up at 3 a.m. every day, did homework, scholarships, extra curriculars went to work I mean I went to school I lived an hour away from my school so I would drive there get there at like seven something and then I'd work all day and sometimes like most time I'd be at school till at least six usually like oftentimes nine and I'd go home and I'd work on homework and scholarships and extracurriculars till like midnight sleep three hours do that again the next day and every single second of every single day was dedicated to this obsessive need to get into this college and then I realized my senior year I don't want to do that. Like, I, cause I was going to be a neuropsychologist, right? Wow. I, I can't be, a, I mean, I could, but I want to be a neuropsychologist. Like that's not what I'm here for. You know, you were trying to find yourself, you were trying to be enough, or like you said, it was just a excessive need and you always were at the core. You were enough and you had a gift and now you're realizing that. Thank you. Um, I'm like, I'm a crybaby, so I'm like tearing up. I'm sorry. I hope no one's uncomfortable. But that just means a lot to me because I always have said, um, I'm water. I'm whatever you put in me or put me in, but I'm nothing in and of myself. Mm. And I've always felt that way. And then just a few weeks ago, I had this crazy, crazy moment, right? I um, was going through, like I was having like a panic attack one more. I was like sobbing and shaking. And then I... It was just a Saturday morning a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, like a flip, like a switch flipped in my brain and I just stopped crying. And I decided, yeah, I realized in that moment, my entire life, I hated myself with like a passionate, malicious loathing, right? And I don't want to, because it's hard. It's so hard to hate yourself all the time. And it's tiring, you know, it's exhausting. exhausting. And I realized in that moment, like I said, it was an epiphany. My life changed. That sounds dramatic, but I had just, it took one more panic attack and I had a moment, you know? And as I was having this like meltdown, I realized that, you know, I always thought the opposite of hating yourself was loving yourself. And I thought I'm never going to get there. So why even try? But it's not the opposite of hating yourself is not caring. And since that moment, I decided that I'm not going to. And it's not as simple as I decide to be happy. So I am. But I should say um, I'm dedicating my time and my energy into not caring. And that doesn't mean I'm not trying to do my best on everything. It's that I'm not critiquing myself constantly. You know, I thought, why do I hate myself? I was trying to think in that moment. Well, okay, what is it? We'll get to the root of the problem. And I thought, 
I don't really know. Cause I thought, okay, well, I'm not pretty. I'm not smart. I'm not talented, all this. And I thought, first of all, I don't even think that's necessarily, I don't even know if that's true. Any of that. Mm-hmm. Second of all, it doesn't matter if it is because they're adjectives, they're superlatives They're They don't mean anything at all. And so it doesn't matter if I'm pretty or talented. No one's standing there with a clipboard. I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there is, say, like, no one's standing there with a clipboard tallying up, like, okay, so you were pretty. Good job. Good job. Um, right. You're really smart. Like, that. it doesn't. It, and so I also realized that whenever people were nice to me, whenever people were kind to me my entire life, I... Um, especially as I grew older, I thought they don't know the real me. I have them fooled. Imposter syndrome, anyone. I was like, I, I've just convinced everyone that I'm smart or that I'm nice or that, but really they don't know the real me. The real me is horrible. And then I realized, let's talk about the definition of what it is to be factual. Okay. Objectivity and factualness are generally one, like intrinsically linked. Who's the least objective judge of my character? Me. So I don't get to pretend like I'm the supreme authority of whether or not I'm a good person or what is fact, what isn't fact about me, because I really can't tell. I have to trust the views of other people. And for the most part, the people around me don't hate me, you know? Exactly. And that's what I realized. I was like, and I would obsess over people who did, you know, I'd put, I'd choose to dedicate my time to people oh, who did me. I know that. Yeah. And so the people I, I would care more about the people that would rather see you flung off the face of the earth and then exactly and, de- and defending you and respecting you. And you're like, okay, okay, just hold on. Cause yeah. it's easy to have your negative feelings validated. And it's easy to end up in those. I don't want to use this term lightly, but borderline abusive relationships either whether it be romantically platonically with yourself mm-hmm. and I think that understanding not to turn the therapy hour here but I like that understanding brought me to an investigation of I have a really bad issue um, I'm very I have a lot of anxiety with people because I don't understand to the point where people will try and hang out with me or talk to me or be my friend and I'll be like no I'll do you a favor I'm just gonna disappear off face the planet and I realized that's really stupid and I'm not doing it anymore. Just last night. I'm sorry. That kind of dates us. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a podcast evergreen. But <laughs> I was going to hang out with a friend. And as I was walking up the stairs to leave my house, I get the text. Oh, you're going to meet some of my friends tonight. I didn't realize he was having anyone over when I'm supposed to come over. I turned around and went back to my room. My mom saw me. She's like, I thought you were leaving. I said, I'm not going anymore. (laughs) I'm not doing it. You can't, I can't do it. (laughs) I'm scared. And then I was like, I told him, I was like, Hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good on that. I will see you next time. And he was like, no, like, please come. And so I was like, I don't want to disappoint anyone. So I ended up going and I had an amazing time. And I decided like, as I was driving, I was like hyperventilating. I was like t- texting my best friend before I left my house. I was like, there are going to be people there. I'm terrified. And she was like, why would they, I was she's like, what are you afraid? Of? I was like, but they'll make fun of me. She's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, okay. Yeah. But like, why? And I really didn't have a reason. And then I got there. Everyone was nice. And they were like, oh, we should hang out again. And I was like, wow. To think I almost didn't come because I and mean to myself and decided you guys would be too like that's ridiculous so yeah. you know a long tangent a long tangent I know but <laughs> I'm sorry I know it, it's so relatable yeah I mean I I'm I get I get that way too like I, I will talk myself out of going somewhere and then I go and I have a great time you know it's you yeah. can really really stress yourself out like I'll, I'll get really bad anxiety and 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't even know why. And I'll start creating things like, oh, maybe I'm anxious about this. Maybe I'm anxious about this. And then I stop uh-huh. myself and I'm like, I just created all those reasons that weren't even there a second ago. <laughs> okay. Now I have real anxiety. Like, and it's just <laughs> cycle. And that's something that's like my biggest goal in life right now is taking myself out of that cycle and not continuing to suffer when I don't have to. And so much easier said than done. Right. And like I said, it's not as simple as if you smiled more, you'd be happier. It's not like that. But now that I hadn't had that moment a while ago, a few weeks ago where I was like, okay, I'm now spending all this energy. I spent hating myself and putting it into not, you know, it's, it took a lot of trial and error and a lot of failures getting there. And that's why I seriously, I think I called every single, like, especially like I was mentioning earlier, I have a lot of young female friends. Um, I don't like the term fans. So I always say supporters, but they're my friends um, that kind of like look to me for advice, things like that. I think I called every single one of them in the course of a couple of days. And I was like, Hey, listen, I, my life just changed. Please don't do what I did and waste so many years being upset all the time. Like, yeah. and they're like, okay. And I was like, okay, yeah. But like, remember this, like, I know I sound crazy right now, but like, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm so serious. Cause I thought I was like, you know, at some point I'm going to die, you know, and there's a, there's a potential that I will know I'm dying, you know, leading up to that point. And I'm going to have to reflect as one does. And I'm going to have to say already that I spent almost my entire life at 21 when I should have been, when I shouldn't have been so miserable being miserable. And I don't want that to turn into when I was 31, when I was 41, I was still miserable. I don't want to do that because, you know, mental illness robbed me of my youth and it's not poetic. It's, it's devastating. And so I don't want to let it take anything else. You know, I don't want to let low self-esteem and self-loathing take anything else. And so that's where, and like, you know, to circle back, like that's one of the greatest things that came out of mystic for me is get being able to realize, okay, so I'm terrible. I'm the worst, right? And this is what's in my head and I hate myself, but then this thing that I love came from me. So there must be something lovable about me somewhere, you know? And that was, I think what started the ball rolling in me kind of trying to get over this, lifelong struggle with myself you know so it's I love that album so much it's given me so much like it's it's I would not be here feeling like the happiest I've ever felt mentally like the most I'm not like the weather isn't necessarily happy all the time but the climate is you know the, my nice. mental, you know and Thank so you. I wouldn't have had that without mystic and that's another thing why I tell people you know it was like you were saying earlier like you have to do what makes you happy you have to recognize your skills and then take advantage of them you know like capitalize on your talents in the best way possible is because if I had just went on like and not ever done music and never done this album first of all I wouldn't be alive at this point if I hadn't done music if I went to college or something I'd be dead but because I would have killed myself I wouldn't have gotten help I needed blah 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 but I created this thing I love and it made so many things better just by its creation and that's why I tell people no matter what your passion is it doesn't have to be the arts if you are a brilliant mind mathematically or scientifically go do that thing that you're really good at and that makes you happy go do it it will just inherently improve your life you know exactly what you're saying earlier so I everyone's on the same wavelength here I love it like everyone I agree and I think doing that thing like you said almost 
it changes your life and it puts you on almost the right path that you're supposed to be on to change other aspects of your life, not just the one thing that you want to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's something else, like I think societally that we're missing is that we're kind of uh, not to get on too much of my like, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but I'm going to, you know, we're kind of um, conditioned to just kind of be another brick in the wall to work for someone else's dreams and ambitions and to, you know, engage in almost a servitude to others. I'm not saying be selfish. I'm saying if everyone just engaged with their best selves and their wants and needs and their talents, then we'd all be so much better off, you know, imagine how many things we lose by people who just didn't follow what you know they were what the universe had wanted to direct it takes major courage usually to follow that and a lot most people well maybe not most but I would say half and half don't follow what they're supposed to be doing because it's scary a lot of the time like things like what you're doing I mean knowing the statistics and how many people don't make it and how hard it is most people just don't even ever go for it. And imagine if they did. Imagine how many people would have made it, but didn't because they never even. Because the uncomfortability is so um, familiar. It's what we know. Yeah. So taking Comfort that chance. Zones and are dream killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I understand. I understand. Like I said, like, I feel like I age in dog years, right? Like, I always said that because I was never like a kid. I was just like a small adult and so I feel like I it was I came real close to messing all this up right I came real close to like I said going and doing a career I was not cut out for or at least trying to going to a bunch of years of schooling that I was not cut out for things like that and ultimately I've done so much more here and if I had just made the decision to do the other thing, the thing I, the, where my trajectory was headed, I wouldn't be here having this conversation. Like, it's crazy how that works. And it's just, mm-hmm. it, we are all just a, a decision away from an entirely different life. And that's like very terrifying, but also very liberating. And once you see, I think the biggest thing that I try to remember is once you see opportunity um, as just that more of an opportunity than a risk you know, then, cause I think that's what, we, I think that gets commonly mistaken. I think that opportunities are mistaken for risks and risks are scary. And yes, there's risk in most opportunities, if not every, but it's really, it's some, oftentimes it's a risk worth taking. And so that's the only reason why I'm here. And you guys make say the same about why you ended up doing what you guys are doing. Cause it seems like I really, okay. I'm not going to pretend to be over, over familiar, right. Or presume anything, but you both are in professions and doing work that is not only necessary, but that you're really, really passionate about. It seems again, I don't want to be presumptuous. And so I don't imagine any of us could have survived being an accountant. You know, some people are meant to be, you know, some people are meant to be accountants. It's not hating on accountants, it's hating on me being an accountant, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And so, and that's, that's, what's crazy, you know, and I've, again, I've kind of ranted here and rambled, but it's just, you know, it's so important because again, I, 
I don't personally, I'm not religious or anything. I don't necessarily believe in afterlife. Maybe there is one, I don't know. Um, but especially with that acute awareness of mortality and I like, this is it. Like, this is the only time I get to do this day. It's the only time I get to do figure out. And there you have a thousand lifetimes in one, you know, just because I'm doing music now doesn't mean I do that for the rest of my life. Maybe I will go back to school and be a neuropsychologist. I don't see it happening, but maybe, you know, it's like, we have this weird understanding societally that we have to pick a path and it's life is so much more multifaceted. Live than limitless, right. Live mm-hmm. limitless. But yeah. So the roots are a man-made thing. All right. Well, actually y'all, it's been pretty much an hour so. I'm going to start wrapping it up, but uh, I just want to say this has been one of the best conversations I've had in a long time. Y'all are really beautiful. I like to think of myself as a, good judge of character and I see some beautiful souls right here mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you too this has been great Jennifer I hope you'll invite me back um you know to have some more great times with you some talks it's been really great thank you for including me yeah I really appreciate you coming on here and helping me out um helping me talk less <laughs> Oh, this this has been so incredible. I've really enjoyed getting to get to know both of you. And I really appreciate um, this time. And I'd love to stay in touch because I really love um, every part of this. Like you said, I would agree this is one of the best conversations I've had in a very long time. And I'm very happy that we got together today. So thank you so much. Before we go, uh, what do you have planned next, Mackenzie? Oh, heavens. Um, so right now I am in the process. Uh, I guess all we really can do is make music. Um, I have my next release entirely recorded in the process of doing the visual elements for it, like cover art, et cetera. Um, and then my next album, notice I distinguish there's a next release and then next album. I keep having to point that out. So, because there's a lot more coming down the pipeline than I think I've conveyed. Um, my next album is probably I'd say a quarter of the way done recording wise. I have everything plotted out in terms of like the artwork and all that. Like I got my brain's full of ideas. And so I'm very excited. There's a lot going on. Um, I will say that, you know, something that is really exciting right now for me in terms of what's coming next is the sound that I'm going for now, not even going for what's just coming out, um, is very much it's different from mistake, but I'm still recognizable. Um, it's not another dark album because the point of mystic is that you can escape the darkness. If I circle back to it, I'm a liar. Right. And so there's so much more to life than being sad. And so that's kind of some, there's so much more to me than being sad. I've discovered. So that's kind of what we're covering next. So just, you know, keep an eye on me for more tunes, you know, (laughs) well, you took me from like newly discovered fan to like super fan in like an hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna happen a lot with the people that watch thank you yeah. so um yeah you're part of the women in stereo family now so i'm gonna keep up with you and post whatever you got coming next i hope you can come on when you uh, release your new album i hope you can come back and talk to us more absolutely i love that thank you guys can i shout out a little bit of where people can find me yes oh yeah yeah, yeah. sorry about that well, it's okay. I'm um, so used to it being just the two of us. So I was like, <laughs> I just want you guys to stay in touch with me. Like you said, Mackenzie, um, it's awesome. And your Instagram, the real Mackenzie Nicole, I yeah. follow 
is. So oh, everybody you. can check you out there. It's a beautiful Instagram because you're gorgeous inside and out. Um, you can find me on Instagram. We are Die Laughing Records. Um, I'm go, 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 girl, underscore DLR. Um, I'm on TikTok, Jillian Elizabeth, DLR. Uh, Facebook, Jillian Elizabeth, or I have Chicanery Chick Records and Die Laughing Records and go to the dielaughingrecords.com website. We've got merch. And just so you guys know, we have the most female fronted bands um, out of these punk indie labels. I'm proud of that. We're real proud of that. That's so cool. Yeah, that's cool as heck. All right, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. Bye, y'all. Bye.